As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Jose Mourinho's Roman reign came to an abrupt end yesterday. Some big breaking mm. news for you now. AS Roma can confirm that Jose Mourinho will leave the club with immediate effect. Former captain Daniel De Rossi will take charge of Roma until the end of the season. It's almost 20 years on from that touchline sprinter Old Trafford and that Chelsea press conference. Please don't call me arrogant because what I'm saying is true. I think I'm a special one. But is he still special? That's what we're going to be talking about today. And also, what is next for Jose Mourinho? Amayo Akimulare, welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. All right, let's get into this big, big news here for today's episode. We have the Athletics Italian football writer, James Horn Carlson, and also our Spurs and England correspondent, Jack Pitt-Brook. Right, James. <laughs> I don't think I'm the only one who saw you know that clip that went viral yesterday, Jose Mourinho leaving Roma in tears. And actually, I don't know about you, but it, it felt sincere. It didn't feel staged. I, I, do you think he was surprised that it, it came to this, that he was sacked? Oh, undoubtedly. Because, you know, as of sort of late uh, Monday night, you know, him and his staff had planned all the training for the next day. And yeah, they were given no warning. Uh, they show up at training nice and early. And the owners, the, the Freakins, who had not been in Rome, they're Americans, they're from Texas, they'd flown in to, uh, from Houston overnight and they were there waiting for him. Yeah, Mourinho has been wanting a meeting with them for the last few months to discuss a new contract because his contract is up at the end of the, the season. And yeah, he was told in no uncertain terms that it was over and he was to leave uh, with immediate effect. And he was very upset, very hurt um, by it because I don't think he's ever felt as loved as he does at a club than Roma. Um, and I think he wanted to go out differently. You know, Roma was his sort of redemption uh, until it wasn't. And I think he knows what this kind of looks like. You know, it's Jose Mourinho has been sacked again. And I think he... He probably felt he deserved a, a different ending, um, even though results had deteriorated to such an extent that it's hard to call it a surprise uh, when you look at it objectively. Um, but there's, there's so much of, of this that is that makes objectivity very difficult um, within the context of Rome, where the fans treated him like he was an emperor-like figure, really. Sacking him, he knew was going to be such an unpopular decision that it might stay the hand of the owners. And instead, they showed kind of great, incredible bravery and courage to actually follow through with it. Yeah. Um, Jack, I mean, as, as an onlooker, and I know you've got a bit of a Spurs hat on on this one, were you, were you shocked when you heard the news that Jose Mourinho was, was to leave Rover? No, I wasn't shocked because it had, it had been clear for a while that performances and results were not really good enough anymore. Um, obviously, he'll always have that Europa Conference League and he will always be a legend to Roma fans for that reason. But it's also clear that he he can't really get a team performing to a high level in a competitive league week in, week out anymore. 
the performances decline over the course of the Mourinho tenure, particularly in in the third season. You know, we shouldn't be surprised by this because it's happened in um, in every job he's done over the last ten years or so. So it's followed quite a conventional pattern, even though I think the mood has been very different from it from the mood, for example, at, at Tottenham or at Manchester United because of you know that relationship he'd had with the fan base. Yeah, I mean. Jack just alluded to it there, you know, I mean, first European Cup for Roman, God knows how many years, right? Like brings the Conference League back, Europa League final. I know they're not doing that well in the league, but surely that should have bought him a bit more time, James. Well, I think Mourinho has always counted when everyone, when anyone's criticised uh, Roma's form domestically uh, and in the league that actually, you know, going on these long European runs has taken it out of the team. They can't work on two th- on two or three fronts. And so they've had to pick at the end of the day. And, you know, I mean, you mentioned Roma's history. You know, they, they won the Fairs Cup uh, back in the, the 60s, uh, like a full run of the UEFA Cup. Um, they hadn't been in a, a European final of, uh, to, at all to speak of since um, the early 1990s. And so for, for him to reach the Conference League final, which the Conference League didn't exist <laughs> until he got the Roma job. That was his inaugural season. But there are a couple of things here. I mean, Jose left Inter in 2010 as a treble winner. He left on that high. No one had ever done the treble before. He's the last manager of an Italian club to win the Champions League. He then goes away, goes to Real Madrid, works for Chelsea, works for Man United, works for Tottenham. He then comes back and no one in the interim in Italy had won any European trophy. And in his first first season, wham, bam, he does it. So for, for, for Roma fans, that was absolutely huge. People can diminish and belittle it, say it's only a conference league as they did with West Ham last year. But to that fan base who hadn't won a trophy, had seen a team win a trophy in 14 years and so desperate for something to celebrate, it meant the world to them. And and it made him an instant immortal for them as well. And so to go to a European final, win it, having not been in one since the early 90s, and then to go to another European final in your second season, yeah. um, Jose has quite rightly pointed out, it's like, I can't remember any other Roma coach doing that. No one had done it. Can't remember an Italian coach going to back-to-back European finals in a long time either. All of that strengthened his hand against you know, how poor they've been domestically. And you have this weird kind of dystopian paradigm where it's quite old school in that actually players, coaches and clubs should be judged on silverware, not on finishing fourth. In the last 10 years, that's been completely flipped <laughs> where actually, no, financially, getting into the Champions League and finishing fourth is so much more important than winning a Conference League or getting to Europa League final. I think winning the Conference League brought in 20 million. That's like half what you get for playing in a Champions League group stage. And so for for Roma's entire project, it was actually more important for them to qualify for the Champions League, which they would have done had they won the Europa League last year. They lost on penalties to, to Sevilla. There's actually quite a lot. Of, that's why there's so much romance tied up in this, because it, it felt like a kind of football from the 60s and 70s, not only in terms of style, but when fans didn't have to care about financial fair play, which frankly Roma do have to care about, but fans don't care about that. They don't want to hear about the financial results of the team or of the club or that sort of thing. They just want to see their team win something. And Jose kind of understood that. And I think that's why grown men were in tears, sobbing, calling after his car yesterday. Tirana per sempre. We'll always have Tirana, which is where they won the conference league. So, you know, it's it's remarkable where you, you have this kind of split personality of Mourinho's time in Europe, success for Roma. Mourinho's time in Italy, sixth place, sixth place again. Really, it was seventh, but Juventus got deducted 10 points. And now ninth, their worst season in the league for twenty more than twenty years. Yeah. 
You know what? If you're watching us on YouTube, you'll see James Horncastle sporting one of my favourite tracksuit tops of the season. It's the Roma Adidas Originals Classico. It's absolutely stunning, James, in solidarity to Roma. But let, let's 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 bring the mood down a little bit. We talked about FFP there, like financial fair play, and I know a lot of Italian teams now. Well, the league has has lost that those tax breaks um, that yeah. they allowed. Does that then force the hand of the club a little bit as well, James, in terms of him being the highest earning coach in, in Serie A? Serie A over the last four years has, has been able to benefit from this tax break, which was brought in by the Italian government, not explicitly um, to attract footballers and, and coaches, but to, to sort of stop a brain drain of Italians coming to London, going to New York, working in Frankfurt, to bring those back to Italy. But it's also been used to sort of attract top foreign talent. And uh, yeah, if you look at the last four years, Serie A has had a bit of a resurgence. It's not what it was in the 90s or 2000s, but it's had a resurgence in that last year there were three teams in three European finals. Inter have been to a Europa League final under Conte, Champions League final under Inzaghi. Um, yeah, different teams going far. Fiorentina Conference League final last year. And they've been able to hire people like Jose on the back of that. Now, this was this tax break was abolished on January the 1st. So it, meant, it, it possibly meant that renewing his contract was going to become even more expensive and more difficult for them to do. But I think this brings a, a wider point, really, Ayo, in, in that I think whatever you make of Jose's style of football, whether it was boring, not good to watch, whether it's out of touch, City A will miss him. And brand City I will suffer without him um, because we are talking about him on an international podcast today. There aren't many other coaches around the world who, who, who lead a show uh, like this or have people talking about him like this. You know, Jose would guarantee eyeballs. He would bring people to City A who are you know, casual fans or let's say fans of the Premier League. Like, oh, what's Jose doing? What's he done? Mm. And I, I do think he was the one transcendental star that City A had. Um, sure, there are some really fine up-and-coming players, Cavadat, Scalio, Ozyman, uh, Leao, and that sort of thing. But they're not household names. You could probably go up to someone in the US and say, name me, name me someone involved in football. And they would probably name, Jose Mourinho would be high up there with Messi, Ronaldo, and that sort of thing. In some respects, it will be less interesting without him, which is, uh, you know, you have to be honest about that. You, you know, it's, he's still, um, in Italy, you say intramontabile, which is like unsunsettable. The sun does not set on him. It can't. You know, he's, he's just always, he's always there. Yeah, Jack, I'm just thinking, you know, Roma, what, five points away from potential Champions League football or European football uh, and next season? That's within his remit to get them back up there. Five points isn't a lot. I, no, five points isn't a lot, but I think there is just a general trend in the last few years of Mourinho's teams really not delivering the points tallies that you would expect, given the, the... I mean, it's not like he's had no resources at all in the last 10 years. You know, his Manchester United squad was extremely well put together. And yeah, they had, you know, they got one eighty-one point season, which is frankly better than United have done since. But in the main, when you look at the sort of back end of his career, so Manchester United, Tottenham and Roma... You can see quite consistent underperformance in the leagues. And, you know, the biggest thing he's done at that time is obviously the, the Conference League with Roma. At Tottenham, he would always point to the fact that he was sacked four days before the League Cup final. And maybe if he'd won, if he'd stayed on and won that League Cup final, then his Tottenham reign would look a little bit more like his, his Roma reign. But the strange thing is that if you look at the kind of the first half of Mourinho's career, this was a guy who as well as delivering the big knockout competitions, obviously 2004 Champions League with Porto, 2010 Champions League with Inter. He was also incredible in league competition. You know, Chelsea got 95 points in 2004-05. They got 91 points in 2005-06. His Real Madrid team got 100 points in 2011-12. He just can't do that anymore. And we can talk about, you know, whether it's to do with tactics or methods or fitness or motivation or whatever. But I think he's now, he's kind of a cups manager now. I don't think that's unfair to say, but based on what he's done in the last few jobs, like even at Manchester United, you know, it's the Europa League that stands out. It's the League Cup that stands out rather than, you know, really keeping pace with Manchester City in the Premier League. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, I'm just looking to his appointment now, uh, James uh, De Rossi, uh, another club legend. Um it is could this be a bit of a PR thing? You know, you've you've sucked the energy from the fan base by getting rid of someone who was so popular. I guess in the interim, someone like De Rossi, I mean, I'm not sure of his experience necessarily, 
could be the solution for now? I think people outside of Italy probably do not understand. Jose is probably the most popular Roma coach ever, even to the last day. Sacking him is not a decision that the owners there could take lightly. Um, you know, it, it's it's very similar, although not to the same level, but it is similar to what happened under the old owners who looked at Francesco Totti in his early 40s and said, mate, just retire already. Mm-hmm. And they enforced that on the coach, Luciano Spalletti, retire Totti. And even though Spalletti's Roma played fantastic football, I think Dzeko scored more than 30 or nearly 40 goals that year. They had a club record points total. They finished second. The fans hated Spalletti. And the atmosphere at the ground was terrible because they were retiring Totti. And it's it's the same with Jose in that Roma fans, in some respects, were okay with the team being mediocre as long as that coach was that, that, that the team was coached by Jose Mourinho. This is cod psychology, but I think it's a legacy of like ancient Rome. You know, this is this is uh, this is a town where the republic was overthrown, the team, the democ- democracy was overthrown for the strong man, the autocrat, the emperor. Totti was like that. Mourinho has become like that. Mourinho is very clever at understanding that, and so sacking him is probably the first unpopular decision that this ownership group has made. And so the only way to really keep the fans on side is to bring in one of them, someone that they cannot not get behind, Daniel De Rossi, someone who is a captain of the club, someone who is Roman born and bred from Ostia, the seaside outside of Rome. But my fear for, for, for De Rossi is that this is too much too soon for him. You know, he served on Roberto Mancini's staff when Italy won the Euros. He coached Spal in the second division last year, but was sacked after 16 games with 15 points. They're in the relegation zone. And you're taking on a big Serie A job to rescue the fortunes of a club in a big, season. Big Serie A job, which he can't say no to. And I think it is quite reminiscent. Okay, Roma aren't going to get relegated like this team I'm going to mention. is, But it's quite similar to like Shearer at Newcastle, where De Rossi's dream is to coach Roma. And this could burn him this experience this three or four months where if the results don't improve he might never get that dream shot again and that won't play well with the the fan base either you're listening to the athletic football podcast with io akimwalere looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're talking above the Premier League because there have been plenty of links to Newcastle. So here's our Newcastle United writer, George Calkin, and hear what he makes of it. So any conversation about Jose Mourinho and Newcastle has to begin and end with the following caveat. It's not going to happen, not anytime soon. They are fully committed to Eddie Howe. Yes, there's a recognition that they're going through a tough season and there is pressure, but they always knew it was going to be harder this time and they also know that they're way ahead of schedule and that they're way ahead of schedule in large part because of Howe's work. Is there a kind of romanticism about Mourinho in Newcastle? Yeah, sort of. He was Sir Bobby Robson's assistant and translator Uh, when he was at Barcelona and other European clubs, and Sir Bobby had tried to get him to St James's Park when he was manager here. But this is a different era. Newcastle are a building club. Newcastle are building something, and Howe is a builder. At his best, Mourinho might get you from second to first, from third to first in in the Premier League, but he will destroy 
everything in his path to get there. Contrary to some expectations, this is not a club in thrall to big names. Remember when the takeover happened, there were crass links with people like Mbappe. In their first transfer window, they signed Dan Byrne and Matt Target. There's a knowledge of where they are, where they're coming through. And yes, they want to get to the very top, but they know that the way they'll get there is through diligence, hard work and everybody in it together. I mean, wow, George didn't hold back on that one, did he? Um, Jack, let's start with you on this one. He ruins clubs, <laughs> as, as he said. I mean, look, Newcastle are, are, are a club with with riches and we, we did a podcast yesterday on uh, sustainability and profitability. So they've got to stay within the realms of that if they're going to move forward. But uh, surely a, a team like Newcastle feels like a mismatch, even if Jose Mourinho were thinking of coming back to the Premier League. Look, if I was Newcastle, I wouldn't appoint him. Um, I, for the reasons that we've talked about, I don't think in the modern game he's someone... He's someone who you get if you want to maximise your league position. I think really he's someone who you get if you want a figurehead, if you want to get the fans back on side, if you want if you want a bit more attention. Like if so, I think there are clubs. I can't really think of one off the top of my head, but there are clubs where I think he might fit in better than Newcastle. That all said, it does on some level kind of make a bit of sense. <laughs> like it, I mean, I think a lot of it. I think a lot of it hinges on. Will the people running Newcastle stay patient forever with the current system and the current setup? And I'm sure, yeah, obviously George knows a hundred times more than I do about this. But speaking just as an outsider, I I'd be curious to wonder at what point, or if the Newcastle leadership might get tempted for a bit of a change in direction at some point and think, actually, you know, we've tried that, we we tried it one way. Now we want to push on to the next level and maybe try it another way. You know, people in football are transfixed when they go on Jose Mourinho's Wikipedia page and they see what he's won. You know, we've seen this is why he keeps on getting the, the getting the big jobs because he's there is no one else who has I mean, you know, there are managers who've won more than him, but they're not managers who've won more than him with such a great range of clubs or with clubs who are not expected to win. You know, it's not like I mean his his achievements are kind of of a different sort from Pep Guardiola's I think because of the the clubs where he's won the big stuff. And I, I just, I, I can't, I can't stop this sense in the back of my mind that it's possible that may, maybe somebody at Newcastle will have to think, you know what, it's worth a go. Yeah, and I think Jack can speak to this, but like there would have been a time when the idea of Mourinho at Tottenham, people would have said, ah, Daniel Levy's far too sensible for that. That's not something that he would do, and yet he did it. And football has a very strange and uh, beguiling way of making very rational, sensible people do <laughs> stuff that you would you would not expect. Yeah. And uh, and so you know, as, as much as George has shut this down, I mean, it's it's Newcastle, it's the club of Bobby Robson, the guy you know who gave Jose a break. You know, he was interpreter for Barcelona. I mean, there's like there's all the there's all the romance there that that, uh, that you, you need if you're pitching this to to the Saudis, who in another capacity have always already spoken to him about uh, you know maybe taking over one of their teams or their national team. You know, so you know it, it doesn't take much for a a project to all of a sudden pivot. Uh, in, a, in a in a different way, Chelsea. <laughs> you know, just yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the more I think about it, the more I think Mourinho's like the One Ring in Lord of the Rings, which is that even if you know it's bad, and even if you know I'm going to get into trouble with this, you cannot take your eyes you off it. it and you cannot take. You're obsessed with the power that you think it might give you, and this is what Daniel Levy did. This is what the Glazers did. It's what the Roma owners did. And even though there's, you know, whether it's I don't know whether it's Newcastle United or the Chelsea owners or I don't know Florentino Perez or anyone else in football, and right now they might be thinking, ah, it's not quite worth the trouble, is it? They'll be sitting there on Wikipedia late at night and they'll think. <laughs> Maybe it is worth it. Maybe it is worth... Think of the power that could accrue to us if we just put this ring on our finger one more time. So, And I don't think the rational side of the argument doesn't hold quite as much power as the kind of irrational side of the argument on this. And I do think that people will... That that power that Jose has, I think, will will eventually win out. 
Well, if we're talking fantasy, I mean, he did compare himself to Harry Potter last week, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, the Roma fans are the most incredible I've seen. Pensare che si chiama José Harry Mourinho Potter, no José Mourinho Félix. Look, if we're talking about a, a fan base, um, and you've seen how they've sort of galvanised behind uh, um, the Newcastle manager, Eddie Howe, you know, if he gets Newcastle back into Champions League football, James, you can see that happening, couldn't you? Yeah, you can. Uh, although I, I just, I, I think the reception of Jose in this country, because it's the one he's worked in the most, is perhaps the one that's, most jaded by him or has been exposed to him so much they they feel like they see through him um whereas as i said in italy there'd been like this 10 10 year vacuum almost of guy leaves making history comes back makes history um and so so you know i i, I do think on the one hand there'd be your savvy Newcastle fans who would say, hang on a minute, we've seen how this has gone for other clubs in this country. And then there are others who just be, I, I think actually quite, it wouldn't be that they couldn't believe it, but I do think this happens a lot with Mourinho. There is a time when fans cannot believe he is coaching their club. And I think that was something certainly that happened at Roma where it was just like, I can't believe he's in our dugout. This is unbelievable. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I didn't know what his next move would be after Tottenham. Um, and I was surprised, uh, surprised by Roma. Um, so yeah, I I find it hard to predict what he will what he will do next. Yeah, I guess from your perspective, and I say Europe loosely because I also can't the United Kingdom as part of this. But what what do you think his stock is at this moment in, in Europe? Um, last season, of course, with the Europa League final, and obviously previous the the Conference League. Do we get a sense of what Jose Mourinho's stock is right now? I mean, you mentioned Budapest there, the Europa League final. I, I think, um, unfortunately, on, a, on, a, on an international level, yeah, that final is remembered for the reaction of Jose afterwards. It's a f***ing disgrace, man. It's a f***ing disgrace, man. Um, you know, going down to the, the car park and confronting uh, match officials, um, the, the way he spoke, the treatment of Anthony Taylor after the game at the airport, the kind of an environment which he sort of created... Um, that was the international story. Not Roma reaching back-to-back -back European finals, not Roma being a penalty kick away from, from reaching the Champions League. That has endured, which I think, you know, he's obviously to blame for that. I think it is, it is a shame because it actually, it has overshadowed what was a, uh, you know, as I said before, his stock should have been as high as it's been in a long time on the back of that. And I think that's why it was important that he didn't get sacked. And yet he has. Um, I think had he got to the end of, se of the season at Roma and they just, you know, they could have framed it as like, let's mutually agree to part ways. It would not have been a sacking. And I think, you know, because it is, people will be sensitive to that. Oh, he's been sacked again. Um, and so should he have walked away after Budapest? I think he probably should. Um, because I think he could have still creditably said, I've taken this team to two European finals. Nobody's done that before. Um, and instead, he's he's available because he's been sacked. Well, I tell you what, there's also a, a growing feeling that a Xavi won't be a Barcelona boss at the start of next season. I mean, talk about big headlines. Could Mourinho make a sensational return to Barca? Well, we asked Paul. Here's what he had to say. Hi, this is Paul Ballos, and I'm the FC Barcelona correspondent for The Athletic. Well before Jose Mourinho became Jose Mourinho in Barcelona, funnily enough, he was known as a translator. Back then, no one could have thought, in 1996, that Mourinho would eventually become Barcelona's perfect archenemy. It all started at the start of this century, actually, with Barcelona getting drawn in the Champions League against his Chelsea side. We lost in Barcelona 2-1 in the circumstances you saw. You don't say, but you, you saw the same circumstances I saw. As Mourinho kept growing in the industry, he found himself against Pep Guardiola's FC Barcelona. 
possibly the best team that the club has ever had. The 2010 semi-finals of the Champions League, in which Barcelona faced his Inter Milan side at the Camp Nou, is till today possibly one of the most frustrating nights that Barcelona fans can even recall right now. Barcelona are beaten. Inter Milan will go to Madrid. And Jose Mourinho's moment has come again. A special success for the special one. When he signed for Real Madrid, the rivalry escalated even to a violent point at some point, I would say. He managed to seduce Real Madrid president Florentino Pérez into believing that his almost military leadership was the only way to beat a brilliant Barcelona side. Since then, Barcelona fans has, they have always celebrated every moment in which Jose Mourinho has experienced failure in his career. There might very well be a side of Barcelona fans, though, who believe that a respected football figure like Mourinho might be what Barcelona needs at the moment. Nevertheless, no matter how bad the state of Barcelona can be at the minute, it would be seen even as a capital sin to entertain the idea of Jose Mourinho taking charge of the Catalan club at some point. A capital sin, Paul calls it. So I'm going to do the sign of the cross as I talk about Jose Mourinho and Barcelona in the same breath. James, Laporte is known for making some radical decisions. Could Jose be one of them? I mean, I would love that for all of all of what Paul, Paul has just mentioned. The reason I think he became arch enemy was because he was he was you know he was cast away, wasn't he? He was he thought he would get that job uh, when. He was interviewed by Ferran Soriano, uh, the guys who are now at Manchester City for Barcelona, and they chose Pep Guardiola instead. Um, so, you know, I know Ferran and Chiqui are not there, but they were acting for Laporta at that time. So, I mean, that would just be amazing. Fantastic. Make, yeah, Jack, it, make it happen. Socios, please. Good for a Jack, Jack for, for a guy that loves headlines, Jose Mourinho taking Barcelona back to new pastures. I mean, come on, the, the, the script is written, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's really important that Joanne Laporta should have the opportunity to correct the historic mistake that he made in 2008. What was he thinking going for Guardiola when he had Mourinho? Uh, think how different football would have been if um, if Laporta had only made the right decision and gone for Jose at, at that point. The, the funny thing were, is that Mourinho, like, you know, I'm not a huge expert on Barcelona, but clearly Xavi obviously was uh, integral to the great Guardiola teams. And Mourinho, if Mourinho were to replace Xavi, he would cut, he would have to come in and say, "Look, all this possession, all these rondos, all the stuff you've been, you know, defending on the halfway line, pressing to win the ball back, all the you've got it all wrong, guys. Things are going to change. Things are going to change around here. I've got a completely we've got a different way of doing things now, and I can guarantee you it's much better than all this kind of ticky tacky nonsense you've been playing for the last fifteen years." Yeah, and this Argentine from the academy. He's too young to play for me, so send him out on loan, please. Get rid of him. I mean, look, I mean, in, in fairness, at this moment in time, Barcelona are conceding, and let's not forget that Chelsea team, 15 goals conceded. Still amazing. That, that's probably what they need right now, a little bit of assurance, a bit of uh, certainty, less flamboyancy. Let's just get pragmatic and just park the bus. I mean, Barcelona are the club that I think, along with Ajax, have the strongest football identity yeah of any club on the planet that identity comes from my ex but I like it's for someone who is so uncroyfian um I think that's why Paul said it would be a, a capital or a cardinal sin it, it feels like Barcelona always appoints someone who has to have worked for Barcelona at some stage or played or you know just interpreted for Barcelona at some stage and so you know, as such, Jose would fit that bill. You know? He could. If, I'd love to see him showing up at Barcelona and just getting all his getting all his favoured lads from the last like ten years of his career <laughs> into Barcelona. It's time for some experience. We're going to get Chris Smalling in. We're going to get Matic in. We're going to get Hoiberg in. We're going to get Lucas Moura in. We're going to get them all together because these are the, these are my warriors. These are the guys who know how to play my football. And all these new fans, exciting new players you've got. You guys are going to sit on the bench for a while because we're going to do it differently. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com 
slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolev. I want to enjoy my life as, as a club manager. I, I, I think... Uh, National team manager is, is a special job. It's different than be a club, a club manager. I want to work every day. I want to train every day. I want to have matches every week if it's possible. I want to have two, three matches a week. I, I love to do it. And um, I know it's also a big responsibility to to manage a country. But uh, it's a work that with uh, recent 43 years of age is is not for me. So I want to be, I would say. You never know, but I would say 12 more years in in top club level, and after that, time for for my country, I think. Let's look ahead, um, because I mean, James, you did say you don't think he's quite at that point uh, of international football. That day-to-day buzz of of league football really suits him, but I mean, at this point in time, you you can't rule it out, Jack. And I know with your England hat on. I, I don't know if I'm reluctant in asking this question. Is this what potentially England needs? You know, someone with a a strong identity of what kind of football he really wants to play? No, not anymore. I think there were <laughs> I think there were points. Clearly, the FA have thought about it in the past. I just don't think it fits really post Southgate. I would absolutely love to see Mourinho at a World Cup. I think he would. I think the kind of the unique atmosphere of a World Cup, the kind of you know the the fact you've got the eyes of the whole human race on the tournament, the the high stakes, the the kind the fact that it's not you know thirty eight game league season, it's just about individual games and specific plans for those games. I think he would be absolutely box office in a World Cup. He would change the tenor of the whole thing if he were there managing whoever. Um, in 2026. I mean, I guess another question is, do I think, is he now done with club management? And so he has to go into international management. I don't really know the answer to that. Although I do think that, you know, there comes a point when older managers, where they need to be open to new ideas. And you saw this with, so, you know, this house, Sir Alex Ferguson stayed relevant in the sort of second half of his time was, you know, new, new coaching staff, fresh ideas. We've not really seen that with Jose. I mean, James will be able to speak about the extent to which he brought in new staff at Roma. But I know that, you know, backroom staff was a big issue for him at Tottenham Hotspur. But I wonder if that's that's kind of his route to staying relevant in, in the club game if he decides to stay in the club game. Uh, but Jack, can you imagine if he is the England manager, what his staff would be? John Terry, Ashley Cole. Frank Lampard. I mean, like... Frank, Frank Lampard, Lampard again, yeah. I, I love this. I think 2026... World Cup in the States, his stage. What a stage for Jose. Joe Cole, Glenn Johnson. (laughs) Winning the World Cup with England for the first time in 60 years. Yeah. It's the biggest prize. I can can kind of see it because, I mean, like if you look at like Didier Deschamps, France, France, right? It's a team that has got glittering talent that should be playing much better football. But tournament football is okay. Let's, you know, actually be pretty solid, pretty drab. And, you know, give it to Killian every now and again or that sort of thing. So I can kind of see Jose being, and as Jack said at the top of the show, he's a cup, he's more of a cup manager now. So part of me would, would, would love to see him take on, his, take on the job of his adopted nation. And yeah, his, not his, it wouldn't be his last hurrah because I just think he's, he's one of those people who will kind of always work. But yeah, I mean, I, I'd be on, I'd, I'd sign up to that. I'd be on board with that. Totally. Well, if you think we've gone off piste on this pod, well, you're not mistaken because there's someone else we're linking him to, you know, with the US hosting the next World Cup in 2026. Not England, but the USA. We asked the Athletics USA men's national team correspondent Paul Tenorio whether Mourinho could be the man to lead the host country in two years' time. 
First of all, obviously, the U.S. men's national team is currently coached by Greg Berhalter. They have a huge summer coming up playing in the Copa America. And if the U.S. were to struggle in that tournament, not get out of the group and perform really poorly, you know, it wouldn't be out of the question for Greg Berhalter to potentially be out of the job and for the U.S. to be looking for a manager. Would Jose Mourinho wait that long for his next job? Uh, would he be a candidate for this job? I think both of those uh, are probably more doubtful than likely. Jose Mourinho, obviously, first of all, is a price point that would far exceed what Greg Berhalter is making now as the national team manager. Uh, his lack of experience as a national team coach would certainly come into question. But I do think there is something to be said for looking for a bigger name manager if you do move away from somebody like Greg Berhalter. The U.S. is going to be hosting the World Cup. There's going to be a massive spotlight on the team and on the tournament and on the country. But you do need somebody who can kind of sell that part of it, right? Sell this sport as something that's growing, that's bigger than it's ever been. And hiring somebody like Jose Mourinho would help accomplish that, at least to some degree. But all in all, I would expect Jose Mourinho to be more likely to stay in Europe than he would to come to this side of the Atlantic. I mean, Jack, you think about the USA needing that razzle-dazzle, cameras there, press there, the appointment of Jose Mourinho to take over Berhalter, who actually has got quite a mixed bag in terms of how they feel about him, could be a fascinating, and I say fascinating with a, with a small F, um, uh, for, for the USA men's national team. Yeah, and I wonder whether for Mourinho, because I don't think Mourinho will be short of, of interest, I wonder whether for him he's going to be attracted to where's the most eyeballs, what would be the biggest achievement. And I think, I mean, winning the World Cup with the USA would be a much bigger achievement than winning the World Cup with England, you know, simply because England have been, England have been really good for the last, you know, throughout the Southgate reign. They've come, you know, they've won the World Cup before, obviously. Um, and they have been close to major silverware in the last few years. But the idea of taking the USA in their home World Cup in 2026, you know, when uh, when the men's team has not got a track record of going very deep into World Cups before, that would be a huge prize for him. And I'm sure to his ego, maybe that would appeal. I think if he is to get into international management, it's not to be the coach of, I don't know, Saudi Arabia or something like that. I think it's to win. Mm. Yeah, and so I, it's got to be to win. Yeah, I think he would. He would almost look at a World Cup as like being one and done. You know, I'm going to do my Mourinho World Cup, and I'm going to win it. And so I think because of that, he would look to take the job that guarantees him the most talent. Um, and you know, you could say, would that be Portugal? Would that be England? I think both of those would uh, would stand above the US, even with some of the good young players that the US have got. So, yeah, I don't see it. I mean, I could see him sort of winning the World Cup with England in the US and then taking a an MLS job on the back of that in LA or something. I'm just thinking lifestyle at this point. You know, he's lived in some great countries. He's had a great life. I mean, now, just kick up a Sunset Boulevard with a little cocktail in your hand, pop into work every few months, and then, uh, you know, it's not a bad life, sun, sunset and sea. <laughs> yeah, I just think he's... In, in some respects, he is made for the US. He completely gets what they want from a sports media and entertainment personality. I still think, you know, even though he's, it's the 20th anniversary of him winning the Champions League with Porto and sort of, quote unquote, bursting onto the scene, I just don't think he's done yet. I think he's, I think he's, still, he's still looking for jobs of prestige, um, still looking jobs that are of relevance, um, and so, uh, and so, for those for those reasons, I, yeah, I just think he will still look for a, a, a project mm. that gives him a chance of of, of winning something. I'm going to put you both on the spot, and that brings me nicely to my next question here, James. You know, decision time. We've we've thrown a few curveballs in here with uh, league teams, with international teams. You talk about prestige. Uh, you think about projects. If you were Jose Mourinho right now, and you'll probably take a bit of time off, to be fair, just to reassess the situation, what is the most likely option for you if if there were a team to call? What 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 seems most feasible? I don't know. I mean, I come back to Chelsea just because Chelsea are just like they 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 hire and fire under this ownership group. Um, I think you know they've got some the, the, the owners there are 
I think he would appeal to them. You know, as much as they have built an analytics department and all this sort of thing that makes them look smart, they've acted in ways which, you know, we go back to kind of being irrational. And, and so, you know, I think... Even like Judas is number one. Remember that when Conte's <laughs> Chelsea beat his Man United. Like I, I, I still see Chelsea as being a, a home for him. The prospect of a third act uh, in a city which has become his home. You know, like this, this country, England, has become his home over over the years. I think. Um, would be something. I mean, I, I can't say. I, I, I was going to say something I wouldn't rule out, but. Uh, I, I just think it would be enticing, you know, and I just find that I just find Chelsea so unpredictable at the moment that it, that in itself just gives it a slight possibility. Yeah, I'm going to be unoriginal and say Chelsea. I just think <laughs> no, that come on. I just think that the idea of, I mean, it's such an irresistible. It's a big lever that they can pull, you know, the bring back Jose lever, and I don't know if I think that the chances of at least one of Todd Bowley and Benadag Bali wanting to pull it at some point in the next year or two are actually really high. You know, it's you know, the team's not doing great at the moment. They want to get the the fans are antsy, and you know, you're already seeing on social media some Chelsea fans wanting to get him back in. They try. I know they tried the kind of club legend for a short period of time last year with with Frank Lampard and it didn't work at all. But I just think and 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 what he offers you as well is, you know, if you're having pro- I mean. He, it doesn't really. If you're having problems with your dressing room and you want a manager who can come in and sort out the dressing room and separate the good lads from the bad lads, and that's what he offers you. And I think a lot of the more frustration that Chelsea will have with their kind of slightly disaffected group of players who are not pulling in the same direction, the more attractive the idea comes of you know the strong man who can come in and sort them all out. Yeah, I, as we're closing the pod, um, and he's still very much with us. I feel this is like oh. Talk to us about your favourite Jose moment. Mm. But I mean, there are so many from from the quips to the running down the field, you know, as, as, a, as, as a Chelsea manager. Um, Jack, I'll start with you on this one. Probably not many Spurs memories, but like your favourite Jose memory in Europe, in the UK. Let us know. Well, Judas is still number one was brilliant. Um, the... What else is there? Running through the sprinklers. Uh, I am the special one, which is obviously a very long time ago now. Um, His look. I think Mourinho is a legend, and I don't want to sound like I'm. I'm kind of down on him, but there is something compelling about when his teams are struggling and they get in this sort of doom spiral, and he starts lashing out on the play at the players. And as a journalist, all you're thinking is, which players are going to pick this time? You know, do you remember when he was at on his way to getting sacked by Chelsea in 2015-16, which I still, I genuinely think that that half season 2015-16 is the most one of the most spectacular stories in Premier League history because he just won the league. People still thought he was he was the best manager in the game and then it all unraveled it all unraveled by christmas and i don't think we've ever quite seen a collapse from from top to bottom like it in that way so for me that that's still the and it was also the first time we got any sense that the Mourinho wasn't quite what he used to be. Like this was not a normal thing to happen. Like this shouldn't be happening to a great team. And this, of course, is what led to Antonio Conte calling it "quote the Mourinho season" <laughs> when he took over at Chelsea the next year, which I think is still Antonio Conte's greatest contribution <laughs> to the English language. This is the thing, uh, even <laughs> even ahead of his rant in the Southampton press room last March, which ended his time at Tottenham. Well, I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say fifteen sixteen. Yeah. I think I think Jose even brings the best out of his his opponents. Yeah. yeah so the, the, Jack talks about Conte there, but like uh, Pep when it was Real Madrid Barcelona, he said like el uh, el puta jefe, wasn't it? He's like this guy is the effing boss, uh, and he's controlling everything, um, setting the narrative and that sort of thing. I will never forget the press conference he gave when he was a Man United coach. <laughs> Uh, I mean, there against so many moments at Man United that respect, respect. 3 nil. Do you know what this means? 3 nil. But also mean three premierships and I won more premierships alone than the other 19 managers together. Three for me and two for them. Respect, 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 man, respect. Uh, but when Frank de Boer <laughs> sort of questioned his use of Marcus Rashford 
and said that, uh, and he just went through Frank de Boer's record at uh, Crystal Palace saying, uh, you know. The worst manager in the history of the Premier League, um, Frank de Boer, uh, seven matches, seven defeats, zero goals. Um, where he was saying that uh, it's not good for Marcus Rashford to have a, a coach like me because the most important thing for me is to win. If he was coached by Frank, he would learn how to lose because he lost every game. It's so good. It's so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, even at Roma, I mean, he's had some great moments, even like recently where he was, uh, again, sort of criticizing referees or the referee choice for one of his games. And he claimed afterwards to be misinterpreted. So without warning, just did his entire post-match interviews in Portuguese <laughs> to, to Italian broadcasters to say like, my Italian's clearly not polished enough. So I'm just going to do this in Portuguese. <laughs> just, um, yeah. I mean, in all of 20 years of, 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 of like Jose being mainstream, you would have thought like he would just have these ticks, you know, that we've all seen and heard before. And yet, He's very original and inventive uh, in, in in that still in in his communications approach. So yeah, I mean, yeah. from an Arsenal fan, that specialist in failure line against Arsene Wenger, but you know, great line. <laughs> not for me, but yeah, it was a great line. Simply, and I use this yeah. in context because he knows how to play the media. I mean, if there's someone with that emotional intelligence, right, that just knows that if I drop this line, it's gonna go viral. Yeah. it's him. He's so self-aware. Yeah, I was going to say it's almost quite Trumpian in just like, you know, Sleepy Joe or yeah. Crooked Hillary mm. and, stuff, and stuff like that. But um, no, he's he's still a master of of, uh, of the press conference. And, you know, I think it, more than any other coach, he, he understood that uh, the game kicks off not at three o'clock on a Saturday, it kicks off at 12 o'clock on Friday in the press conference. Um, and, uh, you know, he's still, he's still very good at that. Whatever you think about, you know, sort of results and that sort of thing. Do you know, I'm, I'm so interested to see where he, where he ends up next. It's probably a really good time to call it a day for the pod though, but gents, I really appreciate your time, James, Jack as well. And, uh, Jack, any, uh, Mourinho chat, uh, on view from the lane this week. And also just for our listeners, when's the next one out? Uh, yeah, there was a little bit at the, we just talked about his, his departure from Roma and how we look back on his time at Tottenham. And I think the next episode's going to be out uh, today, Wednesday afternoon. Oh, nice one. Make sure you, you take a listen to that. And also, James, you met Christian Pulisic for uh, an exclusive interview. I'm still yet to catch it. I've seen some nice clips. Thank you for that. Pleasure. Yeah. Nice to uh, to go to Milan. Got to sample the uh, the extremely good canteen at Milanello. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, if, if it was only for that, it was worth going. <laughs> I love that. All right. Thanks so much once again, gents. Please remember to rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. You can also subscribe to The Athletic for just $2 or £2 a month for 12 months. Head over to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Right now, you can also read James's interview with Christian Pulisic as well as his piece on Mourinho as well. Thank you so much for listening. We're back tomorrow. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favourite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.